0: This is a presentation from Narara Valley Baptist Church, a church that's desperate for God and passionate for people. Guys, I'm very excited to be here tonight um, speaking to you about our uh, topic of give versus take, which will come up soon. Um, last time I talked here was probably 2016. It was BAM, I think it was. With Youth was still caught. Bam, maybe. Could have just gone to the valley. And I talked about light and we, we did a rave. Anyone there? Does anyone remember that? Maybe I'm just that old. <laughs> did anyone actually... Yeah, there we go, Jess remembers. <laughs> Gosh, maybe I'm showing my age. Um, so I've been around the tracks a little while, so... Um, I just want to pray quickly for for us as well. I know Lewis did. Uh, but Father God, I just pray that you just really use tonight for us to really take what you have for us. Nothing that my words can say, but what your words can say. In the name of Jesus, Amen. So we've been looking at this series called Reconnect. And I really loved it. I listened to Louis message from the morning service a few weeks ago. If you haven't, it's on podcast, on the Narara Valley Baptist podcast, and I really encourage you to do that. But he talked about this, and John 15, 5 says this, and this is what he read out, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. I love that. I've been teaching the gospel of John to my eight I'm a chaplain at Christian Community School and uh, we've been teaching the Gospels this term and year 10 has John and so we have a lot of John's here um, still a funny thing <laughs> John who um, and just this the amazing symbolisms that come into place in this gospel and so I was thinking about it and it' just turning and churning in my brain but it's actually interesting that we're talking about reconnecting to a vine. And it's like, well, if we're cut off from something, how can we reconnect? Like, in a physical nature, how does that happen? Well, there is an actual phrase or a wording called grafting in. And it's actually used in the Bible as well. The Apostle Paul talks about it. And so, here's a little bit of Romans 11, 23, 24. Have a read of it. But it's talking about, and I'll read it in a sec, talking about how his ministry to those who were not Jewish, because that's what God called him to do. And he was talking to them about that you can be grafted in. And so I'm going to read this and talk a little bit about it. And if the people of Israel turn from their unbelief, they will be grafted in again, for God has the power to graft them back into the tree. You, by nature, were a branch cut from a wild olive tree. So if God was willing to do something contrary to nature by grafting you into his cultivated tree, he will be far more eager to graft the original branches back into the tree where they belong. And so I love this conversation and this this series on reconnection because the Bible is about reconnection. You know, Jesus coming to earth, dying on a cross, reconciling us or reconnecting us to God the Father. How amazing is that? That's the whole story of the Bible, done, closed, done. If you get that, you're good. But if you accept Christ, that's the better thing next to it. And so I want to talk to you a bit about grafting because it talks about two things there. It talks about grafting trees that are different into the tree that he's talking about. And then we're talking about things that used to be part of the tree that God would be more than eager to have come back. And so, here's a picture of grafting. Okay, so you can have skin grafting. But let's talk about uh, horticulture, planting, trees. And so, A to B, C, D is a process of grafting. So, you've got the root, the thing that's at the bottom is the root or the stock, and then the section that you want to graft into that stock. And so, over time, this, the, the process of doing it, it is cutting and then putting together and then tying and binding together. And so, anyone here, a horticulturist? I don't know if that's how you say it. Yes, awesome. So, you know what I'm talking about. So, if I say anything wrong, come talk to me later. <laughs> I'll try my best. My wife, Haley, has a green thumb. I don't. Um, I'm definitely bad at it. I can pull weeds out, but they say, actually, you know what? I do have a green thumb. They keep coming back. <laughs> so not the type that I want. Um, So grafting is the act of placing a portion of one plant, right, into or on a stem, root, or a branch of another plant in such a way that a union will be formed and the partners will continue to grow. That's really cool. Like, they're not just pulling ideas out of nowhere. This is actually a thing and probably has been a thing for a long time. It's in the Bible, grafting. And so it's really cool to actually understand what they're talking about. Uh, The part of the combination that provides the root is called the stock. The added piece is called the scion. Grafting, uh, I might say that wrong. Grafting as a means of growth control is used extensively with fruit trees. Fruit trees, that's a really cool point. And ornamentals such as roses and junipers. You may see fruit trees with more than one cultivar grafted on the same rootstock. So you might see more than one grafted in Okay, Why is this important? Nathan, why are you doing a lesson? So I'm a teacher as well as a chaplain, so I teach things. So why are you teaching me a lesson about horticulture that you probably don't even know about? Well, why it's important to understanding this whole uh, series on reconnection is that it's this. In modern horticulture, grafting is used for a variety of purposes. And these are the first two, there's many others. To repair injured trees, and to produce dwarf trees and shrubs. I thought that really cool, right? And so, let's think about that. When we're reconnecting, and now we'll go a little bit of, I'll mix in horticulture and the church. When we reconnect into the body of Christ, the same things actually happen if you're solidly wanting to do that. Healing, diseases, those connected to the roots of the horticulture, the idea that why would I graft something into something else is to heal it. But it needs to take time to heal. And the other side is creating little versions of itself. That's pretty cool. That's what a dwarf is, right? A dwarf plant, that's little things. Um, Creating little versions of itself. And so think about this. When you come into the church community... The people of God, we seek and gain healing because Christ is the head of the church. And when we actually seek and step into and graft ourselves into Christ, reconnect, or even connect, because you might not have connected yet, there's healing that comes through that. bit physical, bit spiritual, 100% more so spiritual. And make, be working throughout your sin, and working through that. And then the purpose also is for us to actually be reconnected so that we can become little versions of what we've been grafted into. And so if we're getting grafted into Christ, then we are also called to go out and be, not in the sense of I'm Jesus, but be like Jesus to others. And so it doesn't, it's not easy. It takes effort, takes time, and it might not always work. And so even in a horticultural sense, it says 78% chance of success. And that might happen, that maybe we need to regraft ourselves and and go, okay, let's try this again. Let's try this again. But you know what? Where the, the symbolism of a horticultural thing does fall down is that Jesus is way better than any sort of plant. That I could even graft my other plants to and him grafting us is way better than what I could do and so I really encourage you with that and so when you become connected to the root you become more and more like the root in other words when we are grafted to the to, to the Christ I wrote Christ we start becoming like him First John 2, 4-6 to says this, If someone claims, I know God but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person is a liar and is not living in the truth. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. That is how we know we are living in him. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. And so this is where we're going to start talking about the actual message tonight. There you go. There's my... my set up. So tonight we're going to talk about give verse take. And so we're going to read from Mark ten, thirty five to forty five. And it's on the screen if you don't have your own devices that you you can I really encourage you if you do have your own devices, I'll give you a minute to kind of find them. Search it up. Bible Gateway is always good. I've got the Bible app. Mark ten thirty-five, and I'm reading it from the NLT, so that might make it harder for you guys if you don't have that. But I really enjoy the NLT in the sense that it's helpful to explain things a little bit and it's helpful to look at different versions. So then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came over and spoke to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do us a favor. What is your request? He asked. They replied, when you sit... On your glorious throne, we want to sit in places of honour next to you. One on your right and the other on your left. But Jesus said to them, You don't know what you are asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering I'm about to drink? Are you able to be baptised with the baptism of suffering I must be baptised with? Oh yes, they replied. We are able. Then Jesus told them, You will indeed drink from my bitter cup and be baptized with my baptism of suffering. But I have no right to say who will sit on my right or my left. God has prepared those places for the ones he has chosen. When the 10 other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. So Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so, that's really Already, I mean, I wrote this, right? And and, and I've read that scripture to get this prepared, but already I feel like a bit of a blow to me. (laughs) Gosh, all right, Jesus, how can I do this? And I know Johnny really pushed that this morning as well. And so as we do, we are doing the same sort of um, theme tonight on service and we've called it Give Versus Take. So think about this, right? It's actually quite natural for humans to try and figure out where they sit, okay? Uh, when we have U7 every year at school, there's always a thing, okay, we need to make a seating plan so they're, they're okay and they, they don't get anxious about where they sit. Because it's a human nature not to be left out, to feel like I'm not wanted or, or that I don't matter. And so the disciples are actually asking a fair enough question, a question that you or I probably would ask either outwardly or definitely be thinking it. Jesus, where can I sit? (laughs) And even more so to the human sort of psyche is that, how much do I matter? Do I matter a lot? If I'm on your right side, that means I matter a lot, right? Yeah, yeah, Yeah. And of course, we hate not mattering. And the cool thing is, Jesus does care for us. But this is a different sort of perspective this is a different idea this is is who's the best hands up no you don't have to but i could put my hand up who's ever feel free if you want to who's ever been chosen last on a on a football field a soccer field basketball team games you know i have i definitely have doesn't feel good (laughs) i don't why i'm a nice guy (laughs) I can stand there and look kind of professional when I'm kicked a ball, probably can't do much with it. And so this is the sort of natural feelings that we get. And it's crazy to think about this. Let's go into the next sort of space. Let's think about even in our society, right? Who has the highest paying job? Who has the highest influence? Why, did they, why do they have that? How do they get that? Even on our social media, right? It's how much love hearts, likes, how many views we get. If my friend's seen it. And so we start actually describing how humans are and the attitude behind it and the motivation going forward. haven't lost anyone you're very quiet i like it <laughs> but it's interesting and i say it because it actually is pretty crazy to think and i want you to take like 30 seconds now to think am i someone because i am i definitely am i still try and figure out where i'm at do i matter oh i really want to reach that but think about it how much of yourself are you thinking about Is it too much in certain circumstances? Are you forgetting about others? Now, don't get me wrong. Working hard and putting in time is not something we shouldn't do, right? Getting a high-paying job doesn't mean that it's a bad thing, but it is that attitude that you bring to whatever you do. Do I deserve this? Or no, I don't, but I'm here to do what I need to do. Uh, My assistant principal actually brought this up in one of our PD weeks. I haven't read it, but I'd love to read it. Um, It's a book by Adam Grant, Give and Take. And this quote came out of it. It's interesting that we're talking about this. It turns out that at work, most people operate as either takers, matchers, or givers. Whereas takers strive to get as much as possible from others, and matchers aim to trade evenly Givers are the rare breed of people who contribute to others without expecting anything in return. Now, I don't know about Adam Grant's um, faith, but it's pretty spot on, isn't it? But in all honesty, I want to put it a little bit further. I think we can all be all three at different times, different relationships, different seasons. And so let's think about this. Let's think about the takers. We can easily describe takers and go, well, they're the people who just focus on themselves and don't worry about who they rush past, push through, backstab. Now, maybe you don't go that far. But do you know someone who could be very self-absorbed? All about them. Never thinking about anyone else. Just always about them. And then let's think about matches, Well, you know, isn't that fair? Isn't that an idea of fairness? If you do something for me, I do something for you, that's fair? I know Johnny used the idea of the Australians, the culture here in this country. You know, a fair go and all those sort of things. But yeah, if I do this for you, I kind of expect something in return. Kind of our culture. There is a little bit of that. And then, of course, even in another sense, maybe it's something that's not fully written in Adam Grant's quote, but even those who serve with an attitude similar to that sort of matcha idea, but aren't showing true service at all. And so there are people in this world who seem to have a self-righteous sort of serving. I serve so that I can get out of it. I do things for people with a slight expectation that I'll get reward. And so I deserve this seat, that job, your respect, because I have this, have done that, been here for this long. I deserve this, very self-entitled, someone who is self-seeking and self-wanting. I've been reading a book, I know Geordie smashed through this, we were doing a Bible, Bible, not a Bible, a book study, and Richard J. Foster, Celebration of Discipline, he smashed it, I'm still reading it, um, it we're supposed to do weeks, both of us didn't work out to do weeks, he beat me, it wasn't a challenge Geordie. <laughs> um, but it says, he says this, and this is really interesting. Self-righteous service requires external rewards. It needs to know that people see and appreciate the effort. It seeks human applause with proper religious modesty, of course. True service rests contented in hiddenness. It does not fear the lights and blare of attention, but it does not seek them either. I really like that last bit because we still need some sort of reminder that, hey, well done, you're doing something well. We're human, we still, but the difference is the attitude towards it, where I, you know, a self-righteous person might be always seeking it, where we want to work through into a space that we do it, nonetheless of what others see, God sees it. But it's still good to be reminded, I'm a words of affirmation, hands up all the words of affirmation people, people who like getting words, words of affirmation means you're a person who likes being appreciated and words used to do that. Yeah, yeah, cool, cool. I see that hand. <laughs> I'm one of those. And so it's hard for me in this sense that am I doing this for me or am I doing this for God? Because it's sometimes hard to put those things um, separated. But true service rests in contented hiddenness. I'm content that I'm doing this. And I don't care if someone sees me or not. And so it really actually changes our mindset and our society's stance, really. And don't you love God in that sense? That God's economy flips our economy on its head. That everything that we talk about, everything we do, God says, ah, no. Totally opposite. And I love this. So Jesus responds in Mark 10, 44 and 45 to his disciples Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. So totally different to our society that we always want to get to the top. We always want the top job. I want to be the the boss, the supervisor, the pastor, the whatever. But Jesus is saying to his guys, be the servant. And Johnny used a great imagery this morning. Go and listen to his message from this morning, where Jesus washes the disciples' feet in those times. And even probably now, you wouldn't want to wash someone else's feet. Even, but in, back in those times, that was a huge statement of service. Jesus, who is God, did that. And so to understand how this works with the whole reconnection thing is that if we start abiding or remaining in God, we start wanting to do and having the desires that God has for us and for His world and for His kingdom. Sacrificing time, effort, money, humbly serving others looking after their needs. But I like, as I said before, that we do not fear attention, but we're not looking for it. And I know there's a great misquoted quote that is uh, always given to C.S. Lewis. I figured it out. But it's actually Rick Warren where it talks about how um, humility is not um, thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. I'll say that again. Not thinking less of yourself, putting yourself down, but thinking of yourself less and others more. Just my little additions to that. This is really cool. I, I'm a history teacher as well. So you're learning a little bit about me through this whole thing, um, which is really cool. If you want to ask me more questions about stuff, please do. I might not be able to answer it. Google's always a good place to go. Um, but I've, I teach um, Year 9 and 10, which looks at World War II. And I know Lewis last week... Uh, talks a little bit about a man, a priest in World War II. But this guy, Johan van Holst, I've got a picture up there somewhere that will come up uh, of him. He's a, he was a Dutch Christian who was born in 1911 and died in 2018. I think he was over 100 if you do your quick maths. No? Okay. 107. Well done. That's correct. That's what it says on my thing. I found that by not doing maths. I just copied it. There he is. Uh, Johan van Holst was a Dutch Christian who up until World War II, had already committed to helping children with his life. As a teacher, school director, university professor, and author, but when the Nazis occupied the Netherlands and began deporting and murdering the country's Jews, Van Hulst's care for children would take on a whole new dimension. As the war raged, Van Hulst was director of a Christian seminary, so a university, in Amsterdam, Across the street from his school was a theatre which the Nazis used to gather Jews. They would then deport and then kill. Sharing a garden with Van Holst's school was the site where Jewish children were gathered. At the beginning of 1943, Van Holst began sneaking the children over the hedge that separated them from the seminary, assisted by the school's teachers and students. After the children were smuggled into the school, They were then smuggled back out to Christian families that would shelter them, hidden inside bags and laundry baskets. Van Holst used other methods to trick the murderous Nazis as well, waiting for a train to pass and block the Germans' view. Now, World War II had a lot of atrocities. If you talk about it in history, the Holocaust was a huge one. And so to understand The extremity of what he was doing, he risked his own life to save others. So if you didn't know. During the summer of 1943, the operation was almost shut down when an inspector from the Ministry of Education saw the children and inquired whether they were Jewish, because it was illegal to be Jewish in uh, Nazi-occupied Europe. According to historian Paul R. Bartrop, the inspector did not take action, though instead he warned Van Holst, in God's name, be careful. That September Pimentel, who was the teacher, uh, was deported to Auschwitz. Following her deportation, the daycare was shuttered. But before the children were sent away, the principal, Viri Cohen, tipped off Van Holst, or was happening for one last ditch to rescue um, students, children. Sadly, the Nazis discovered the operation, ultimately nabbing 100 children, all of whom would perish in death camps. But before Van Holst and his helpers' actions were discovered, they had saved more than 600 Jewish children who would have met the very same fate. Van Holst continued to be active in the resistance throughout World War II. Just a few weeks before the fighting drew to a close, Van Holst learned that the Nazis planned to arrest him and spent the remainder of the war in hiding. Because of his actions, Johan Van Holst was named a righteous Gentile, because he wasn't Jewish, in 1973, during a Dutch visit in 2012, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu said of Van Holst, we say those who save one life save a universe. You saved hundreds of universes. I wanna thank you in the name of the Jewish people, but also the name of humanity. The amazing, and this is not the only story from World War II, it's just one of many for the service that a lot of people did because they saw the atrocities that were going on even to the point of risking their own lives now that might not be what god has planned for you in your service but that's the attitude that god wants us to have not to lose our lives in that sense but lose make ourselves lesser in him more in our lives and this is interesting as i'm coming to a close Mr. Van Holst was interviewed frequently about his wartime activities, but was modest in assessing them. But he said this, and, and it's kind of a little bit heartbreaking, but it's also very encouraging to see how much of a heart of service that he had. He said this in one of his last sort of interviews before he passed away. It's not about me. I don't want to put myself in the foreground or play a resistance hero. All I really think about is the things I couldn't do. A few thousand children I wasn't able to save. And that's the sort of heart of someone who loves deeply and serves so heartedly. John fifteen twelve and 13 says this, this is my commandment, love each other in the same way I have loved you. This is Jesus. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. So I don't I, I don't know where you're at. God does. But I really encourage you today, if you haven't connected into the into Christ's family, I definitely encourage you to talk to one of the Pastor John's here or or Lewis or someone else to talk about how can I connect with Christ. Maybe you have been a part of Christ in one way or another, been part of this church before coming back or whatever, and you want to reconnect. I do. I encourage you to do the same. Because Christ died for you and saved you by grace. And the life that he encourages us to live by is a life that is totally different to what the world has. And the love that we can bring through Jesus' name immensely effective only if we decided and chose to do it I'm gonna pray father I thank you so much for who you are Lord. I thank you for the love that you give us and the love that you pour out thank you Lord for your sacrifice by laying your life down for us we pray that we can reconnect or we can connect to your love and see your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. In the name of Jesus, amen. This has been a presentation from Narara Valley Baptist Church, a church that's desperate for God and passionate for people. To continue the conversation, we invite you to join us Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 5.00 p.m. or on our website at www.nvbc.info.